What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome into episode Trenta. Okay, so what are we calling this? Is this we're doing thirty-eight or thirty-seven? Right? There will be stories told. What is of the what? lost episode thirty-seven of the Two and a Half Marks podcast? So is this going to be thirty-eight or is this going to? Yes, is this, I th- so we're calling this thirty-eight. I think rightfully it's thirty-eight because if anyone ever wanted to listen to bad audio quality for a podcast, I could absolutely upload what I have. But at the same time, I'm a perfectionist, and I believe that listening to that audio is worse than insert whatever you want to say here. I refuse okay. to subject our listeners, especially our growing Australian base, to poorly poor quality audio. I only want the best for our listeners. Okay. Well, fair enough. If ever the uh, the demand from our audience grows so feverish that they they clamor for the lost episode of uh, two and a half marks they can have it but this is episode Trenta Yocho of the two and a half marks podcast my name is david Statman, and as always i'm joined by my good friends angelo inglisa and jake long as we rewatch, relive and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week and this week we are back at it it has been an unplanned two-week break for you <laughs> the listeners this is episode 38 but this is the only the 37th episode that you can listen to because last week's, you know, we, we, we slogged through each of us four hours of Extreme Rules 2019, <laughs> a four hour long pay-per-view headlined by Baron Corbin. We watched the whole thing. We talked about it for like two hours. It was a super long podcast. I thought it was a pretty good episode. And then it turns out that we have tempted fate by not doing any audio checks at all for the last like 20 episodes (laughs) and it turned out that it sounded like we were speaking out of a robot's ass and we can't upload the episode but uh that is what happens you know all all the blame rests on uh a certain italian man in this uh the only one here that is under six feet tall no, I'm under six feet tall. I was say, if you're calling David six feet, I, I, I thought so I thought David always called himself six feet tall. No, I have literally never once in my life. Called, <laughs> I'm five. I'm five eleven. So if you want to round up, sure, but you don't do that. I can't even round up. So I mean, like, if Angelo rounds up, he gets shorter somehow. That's one of those things. That's one of those things. I think I'm like five eleven and a half ish. So like, if I wanted to round up, like, if I was five ten and a half, maybe you would round up to five eleven, right? But you can't do that. You can't do that when the next inch is like the next foot. Like you can't round up five eleven and a half to six feet. Oh, like, see, I think you, you should do it. it. I, I think don't think, think you, you can it. do it. I don't think you can do it if you're if you're talking about changing the foot number. That's as you see. That's why I. I that's why it's perfect for me because I am built at five foot eight. In actuality, I'm five foot seven and three quarters. Yes, which I, exactly so sure. exactly the same as my dad. You know, exactly the same thing. You round up. And he's Shout the exact same. I think he's the, literally the exact same height that you are. Yeah. I, I, am, I remember when we went to, uh, what is it, Boston Beanery? He was about, <laughs> I, I, he was about eye level with me. Yeah, because you guys are both you guys are both small men from New Jersey. It's fun. Well, it's funny because my uh, my grandfather has started like he was about five foot, I think six on his best day, but he's now shrunk to the size of five two, and I just know I have that to look forward to. Uh, forward to. 
He's like Hulk Hogan. He was doing the leg drop for so long that it shrunk his spine. I, I just, I just think it's something in the genes. Probably. I'm looking forward to hanging out with Angelo in 40 years, and he's like four foot nine. <laughs> he, he walks in and he looks exactly like Danny DeVito. No, if I'm looking like Danny DeVito, I'm probably not lasting that long. Listen, Danny DeVito's got millions of like college age girls that would kill kill dozens of people to be with him. Look, I don't. I, I'm not disagreeing on that part. I'm just saying from a pure health standpoint, he's doing fine. That dude's like 80 years old. He's wait, DeVito's he's just 80. Yeah, he's I old. feel like. Danny DeVito is way older than you think he is. Mm. Danny DeVito is 76 years old. I just looked it up. This is this is now a Danny DeVito podcast. Welcome in, everybody. I thought this Danny, was... Danny DeVito, also small Italian man from New Jersey. You probably are probably your cousins from the old country, man. I mean, it depends on what part of Italy he's from. I mean, my family's from the island of Sicily, so oh, we got family. Sicilian boy. Yes. Oh, oof. Hey, gabagool. Gabagool. <laughs> I'm descended from farmers. I never had a chance to be tall. Sure. But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we didn't have an episode last week. So we're going to make it up to you this week. Yeah, we, like last week we were talking about Extreme Rules 2019. We slogged through it. And at the end of the episode, we hit the randomizer, as we always do. And we came on Elimination Chamber 2015. A pretty unique show for a few different reasons, but uh, a great slice of that that period of WWE. You got two Elimination Chamber matches. You've got a Shield breakup related main event between Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose for the WWE Championship. All in all, I enjoyed the show, and I'm I'm excited to talk about this one. Uh, I don't think enjoyed is the is a word I can use for it. I liked I I really liked one thing. Everything else I told Ange is, was kind of eh. It was fine. I I kind of like I'm in that same boat. I thought it was fine. Unironically, Elimination Chamber I think is my favorite gimmick pay per view event. I love the Elimination Chamber match. I think it has a lot of good elements. I love the concept. Um, however. The way it was presented on this pay-per-view, I have a problem with. But we'll get to that down the yeah, yeah, Elim- yeah. Elimination, Elimination Chamber, I think, is one of the most fun things that they could have. I love it for the lead-up into WrestleMania. This is not that. This ha- yes. except, except this card happened in May. Yes. And, and that is yeah. a whole interesting part of the story there. But it sounds like we're uh, ready to remember some guys. Oh, yeah. Let's get some oh, guys. There, there are two guys in this first match that we need to remember. There are several guys. There, there are a few guys Actually, in this no, first match. Actually, there are a match. lot of guys. What am I saying? Yeah. There, there are several guys in this first match that we have not remembered before. I would say half, but, this, uh, half this first match is full of guys. Yes, it, it yeah. really is. So, let's remember some guys. It is May 31st, 2015. We are at the American Bank Center in Corpus Christi, Texas. 7,000 people in the building and... As we kind of hinted at, that date, May 31st, is an interesting difference from other Elimination Chamber pay-per-views. Traditionally, in the 2010s and onward, since they made Elimination Chamber its own pay-per-view, it's always been a fixture on the road to WrestleMania. A lot of times, one of the WrestleMania world title matches will be set in the Royal Rumble, and the other will be set with something having to do with the Elimination Chamber. This year was different. 
In 2015, they, for whatever reason, they decided originally, we're not going to do an Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. I think one of the reasons why was because there aren't that many arenas that can actually support the Chamber structure in the way that they want it to. So they decided, we're going to back it this year. We're not going to do it. That year, the only pay-per-view between... Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, a lot of years it's two. This year they just had Fastlane before Rumble and WrestleMania. But then, after May, after WrestleMania, around like late April, early May, they changed their minds. They said, you know what? Actually, let's do Elimination Chamber anyway. So, a few weeks before the show took place, they took an already scheduled house show in Corpus Christi, Texas, and said, you know what? This is a pay-per-view now. And then Elimination Chamber 2015 happens. The only time that Elimination Chamber has not happened pre-WrestleMania. And what that means is that, A, a bunch of people from, uh, a bunch of people in Corpus Christi, Texas, who had bought tickets to a house show, then all of a sudden found out that they had actually bought tickets to a pay-per-view. So good for those guys, because that sounds pretty cool. And then, B... Because they did this really late, the main Elimination Chamber match ended up being for the Intercontinental title. Which, for better or for worse, and it was for worse. It was for worse. But it is Elimination Chamber in May. We have Michael Cole, Jerry King Lawler, and JBL on commentary. We have two Chamber matches, and we start off with the first ever Tag Team uh, Elimination Chamber match for the World Tag Team titles. Just some boys sharing pods, baby. We're sharing pods (laughs) and we're touching tips. So we start off the rules of the Elimination Chamber, if you're not familiar. It's sort of like a War Games match, except more complicated. You have a roofed cage, this giant structure that has four pods and six wrestlers enter, four are put in these pods, two wrestlers start the match. Every interval of time, I think it changes from year to year occasionally, but this, this year it was every four minutes, another wrestler enters from their pod and they join the match. But unlike the War Games match, where you can only start eliminating people, it's an elimination match, you can only start eliminating people after everyone is in, in the War Games match, in the Elimination Chamber, you can just eliminate people whenever. So, that is the match. So, we start off four teams in the pods. We have the primetime players, Darren Young and Titus O'Neil. Let me say this. If you didn't do the uh, primetime players dance with your boys in 2015, <laughs> then you, you didn't have boys. You just didn't have any boys. Uh, we have the team of Primo and Epico, Los Matadores, accompanied by El Torito, the now, uh, the little man bull guy. Now, David, now, <laughs> now, David, what what was the tag team that uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was on? Was it – I forget what they were called, but it was a jabroni tag team. He oh. was in the Matadors with Tito Santana, yeah, I believe. Okay, they so. basically just reused the gimmick and then gave it to Carlito's Cousins. <laughs> and a and a, a little person in a bull outfit. Yes. 
<laughs> and yeah. And El Torito, the aforementioned little person in a bull outfit, he enters the match as well. He goes in <laughs> and he immediately like Primo and Epico go into the pod. And then you just have Torito <laughs> climb to the top and he just stands on the pod. The <laughs> there were some blatant disregards for the rules in this match. And I wasn't here for it. It was great. Uh, we also have the team of very underrated, great technical tag team of Tyson Kidd and Cesaro. And then we have the heel champions, the New Day. Still relatively early on in the New Day saga. This was at the point where the chant was still New Day sucks instead of New Day rocks. Which I actually um, enjoyed. I loved seeing it. This is my first real taste of New Heel New Day. I love seeing Heel New Day and hearing New Day sucks. Yes. Xavier Woods, Big E, and Kofi Kingston. And because of some heel chicanery, they get to have all three guys in the match. So they have was, all three guys fit into the pot. Was was that mentioned on the on the broadcast or like beforehand? Yeah. Why I they got all was, three? I think it was mentioned as they were coming out where it was like they said something like, Oh, uh, corporate Kane, because of some reason, decided that they could have all three guys. That's dumb. They okay. have all three guys. Um, and this is pre like it's it's weird having the new day come out with no trombone. It's not normal. It doesn't feel right. <laughs> And then start the two teams starting out in the ring. We have two 2014 NXT classics. We have the Ascension, <laughs> and we have the Lucha Dragons, Kalisto and Sin Cara. So we start off with those two teams in the ring. It's a couple big guys versus a couple of Lucha guys. So you got your Lucha boys, and they're doing their little uh, Lucha flips and whatnot. Um, we get a bunch of cool spots from Kalisto and Sin Cara where they fly around. Um, you get a spot where uh, Kalisto gets like flipped onto one of the pods and he lands on the top of the pod. And then Sin Cara climbs up with him. He does a big swanton off the pod. The first team to enter out of the pods, I'm going to say the, the word pod so many times today. <laughs> Shit. This is gonna You're like suck. Jeff Probst saying the word balls. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome for that one <laughs> i just thought about that that's great both give you that uncomfortable feeling <laughs> in this challenge cesaro and tyson kid are the first team to come out of the pods uh we get some cool spots from cesaro he leaps to the top rope in a single bound and he european uppercuts kalisto who's on top of the pod and then he superplexes him Kid hits a huge diving elbow, but Sin Cara breaks up the pin. Um, Los Matadores are next out. When Los Matadores come out of their pod, El Torito suddenly just leaps off the top of his pod <laughs> into the match and hits a Hurricane Rana on Cesaro. They do this weird spot where, so Kalisto climbs up the side of the chamber for some reason, and then he keeps climbing, and then he ends up hanging upside, like hanging off the top of the chamber and everyone's like standing up there looking to, like waiting to catch him like he's going to do some kind of cool spot and he starts like swinging back and forth like he's going to do a sweet flip and then he stops and then just drops on everybody <laughs> and that was really weird I, um, I thought it, yeah I'll, I'll talk about that when you're done yeah I, I don't know if like he was planning on doing something cool and then he realized <laughs> midway through like oh shit I can't do this and then he's just like I'm just going to fall and they'll catch me I don't know it was weird um then 
Torito ends up climbing up the top as well, and he tries to do the same thing. He tries to drop onto the Ascension, but they just catch him, and they just yeet him out of the ring. (laughs) (laughs) They hit the Fall of Man, their finisher, onto one of the Matadors. They're eliminated, and then almost right afterward, they hit the Fall of Man on Kalisto. They pin him, and the Lucha Dragons are out. So that's two teams out back-to-back from the Ascension. You get the primetime players are next in. Titus get Titus gets a lot of stuff in this match. He they really like they give him a lot. He's throwing people everywhere. Darren Young hits Victor of the Ascension with a huge gut buster. Titus kills the other guy with a big boot. And the primetime players pin Victor and they get the Ascension out of there. So there's three teams left. They do Cesaro and Kid versus the primetime players for a little bit. Cesaro is doing all these spots and looking great. He does like the great Okada dropkick where the guy's sitting on top of the corner. He does the dropkick and gets him. Um, they do a huge Tower of Doom spot. And then the New Day comes in there and last. All three guys are in. They run wild. They do this like rugby scrum kind of spot where the other four guys in the primetime players and Cesaro and Kid. They all team up and suplex all three members of the New Day at the same time. And then Kid and Cesaro actually lock Xavier Woods in their pod to even up the odds. Um, Cesaro gets Kofi in the giant swing, but then Darren Young comes up, rolls him up, and pins him. So that eliminates Cesaro and Kid, and we're down to New Day and primetime players. Big E busts Xavier Woods out of the pod. They're back to three on two. They beat everyone down. Darren Young and the primetime players, they get a comeback. Darren hits the gut buster on Kofi. He's only able to cover a little bit too late. Kofi kicks out. Big E kills Darren Young with a big overhead belly-to-belly on the floor. Titus, Xavier Woods tries to do a springboard into the ring on Titus. Titus catches him, but Big E chop blocks him from behind. Kofi runs in, hits the trouble in paradise. And the New Day guys all kind of gang-pin Titus together. And the New Day retain the titles in the Elimination Chamber in 24 minutes and 24 seconds. I thought, I, you know, I haven't... They've done a few of these tag team Elimination Chamber matches. I've always enjoyed every single one of them. And this one was good. I liked it. I I don't know. I, I, I never got into it. Like, I feel like there were so many guys there that... Like, I could tell them apart. But I just never really cared what they were doing because I was like, they're not going to show me something or they're not going to do something that's important off camera. So, like, I don't know. I just never got into it. And I thought the Kalisto spot was kind of bad, even though I guess at the time people liked it. I I thought it looked really bad. It got a reaction, but I still don't really know what was going on. He was definitely going to do some cool flippy shit. And then he was like, oh, I probably shouldn't do this. Well, it's the same spot that I complain about all the time where they hang from the top of the cage or the chamber and then they just fall onto the group of guys. It's, yeah. just, it's the same spot. And everybody spo- just kind of stands and like looks at Ooh, them. Oh, let me catch you. It's like, I, I, I always hate that spot. I get it's for pops. I get it's probably great to see live, but when you're watching the show either at your house or rewatching it, it doesn't have the same effect. I already said I love the fact that I got to see Heal New Day. It's very fascinating to see them do the same things that they would do now, except in heel form, uh, the El Torito thing always was distracting when the guy he climbs, climbs on the top of the cage. Although I will say that Super Hurricanrana that he hits looked impeccable. 
Like, it looked really good. I was surprised that nothing bad happened from that spot. Uh, the uh, Sinkar hitting the Swanton from the top of the cage again. And this is why I like the Elimination Chamber. You get a lot of high spots. There's a lot of brutality. You can do some crazy things. And even though David has to say pot about every five seconds uh, to survive on this episode. Yeah. Uh, overall, the flow was fine, but there is a lot of standing around and there's just – it's broken. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of things going on or there it, there doesn't have a lot of chemistry in the ring. Uh, Titus especially had some moments where he looked absolutely lost. And this is coming from a guy that really likes Titus and believes that primetime players probably could have been more of a mainstay. Uh but I'm, a, I'm I, a huge fan of Titus the man because like he's like truly one of the good guys in wrestling and WWE. But like as a worker, eh. yeah, no, like and this is like when I watch this match, I'm like, Ugh, this is not a good Titus match. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but like I, I, I thought Fall Man was cool. The Ascension is not a tag team that I've really seen before. I caught them at the very end, I think in 2017, where they're kind of like a joke bit uh, and complete jo- uh, jobbers. Uh, but the the fall of man was a really cool finisher. I thought they didn't look too silly or feel too uh, illegitimate to be in the tag team title hunt. Uh, but let's talk about the actual real good rivalry that came from the mid two thousand tens, which is Cesaro versus the New Day. How often does Cesaro have some random ass tag team partner and find himself fighting the New Day? <laughs> at least, <laughs> at least twice, I guess. Listen, yeah. well, you can ball- put Cesaro in every like. Like, put, put Cesaro in the match against Dean and Seth in the main event of this show, and I guarantee you it's really good. Like, yeah. just put him in every yeah. match. Cesaro needs no, to win the Rumble there, this year. There is no match that would not be improved if you put Cesaro in there. <laughs> Okada Omega 5? Put Cesaro in it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking WrestleMania 6, Warrior, <laughs> Warrior versus Hogan versus Cesaro. <laughs> this is a, a, a Cesaro fan account. Yep. Uh, yeah. But but like he is like Cesaro is a guy that they should have pushed any time, any literally any time. <laughs> he's so he's so creative in the ring with what he does and what like he's known for. Like how many different ways does he use a European uppercut in this match? I feel like I feel like this is probably the fourth time that we've talked about Cesaro and the fourth time that we've all said these exact things yeah. because we love Cesaro. <laughs> because we need to push Cesaro. Um, Anyway, like, New Day winning here is fine. I They did enough in here for me to feel like any one of these teams could win, especially, like, when it got down to primetime players, Tyson Kidd, Cesaro, the New Day. I feel like those were the three teams I really thought, watching the match, could win. Uh, New Day winning makes sense because, again, they're the heels. You have to troll the fans. Uh, but overall, like, this was a fine tag team elimination chamber match, even though I do not like tag team elimination chamber matches. I feel like I... Tended to really enjoy that, even though, yeah, I mean, it's like a bunch of guys everywhere doing stuff. I've always enjoyed them. But, but, but like, the whole idea of, and we talked about this uh, in our TNA lockdown episode, whenever you've got a ton of guys in a very confined amount of space, sometimes it gets hard. Oh, for sure. Or if you give them unlimited room, like the junk, what the junkyard brawl or whatever, <laughs> it also is impossible to follow. So, yeah. And it's not like the Rumble where, you, like, People can just kind of, like, hide in the corners or, like, pretend to get beat up in the corners. Here you had a lot of times a lot of people just kind of, like, standing around watching or overselling. And this happens a lot on the rest of the card. But you'll see people selling something that on offense or, like, selling a move and then suddenly urgently get up. There isn't, like, a crescendo of getting back in the action. It's just, oh, I'm knocked out. I'm dazed. Oh, I need to break up the spin. 
It, it was very herky jerky. Yeah. Herky jerky. I'll say this. I mean, it seems like I was higher on the Smash than you two were. Definitely. And that's, that's fine. That's fine. But I think we can all agree this was way better than the next Elimination Chamber. Yes. I think this was easily the better of the two. I would say this is probably the third best match on the card. That's like saying uh, that. Yeah, sure. That's like saying that your dinner was good because it wasn't shit on a stick. So. Bro, were you eating shit on a stick over there? That may have been a little too close to home, but anyway, next match. You munching on some shit? (laughs) Damn, that's cool. But yeah, so next up, uh, backstage, Dolph Ziggler's trying to fuck Rusev's wife. And next up, we have a women's, a, a WWE Divas, I wrote women's title, but at this point, it's it was still, still Divas. Divas title. It was still we that have, ugly-ass butterfly belt. We Yes, uh, just the worst belt in the Cursed. history of wrestling. Cursed. <laughs> we have the champion, Nikki Bella, defending against Naomi and Paige. And interesting little funny part about this, we have ring announcing for this match, a uh, woman by the name of Eden Styles, who you might recognize as Brandy Rhodes. I had to do a double take. I'm like, wait a second, that's Brandy Rhodes. Oh, I didn't even right. notice. I saw the name. Brandy like, Rose. okay, let me double check and look up the name Eden Styles and make sure that's Brandy. I'm like, yep, that's Brandy. Yep. She does that's a damn. Fun. She does a damn good job announcing. She was a good ring announcer. Was a very good ring announcer. Uh, this is Naomi. Didn't end up becoming cool until like a year or two later. So she's just kind of eh. And then you have Paige who is still, I think, pretty fresh on the main roster. She's actually yeah. pretty over. Um, uh, Naomi was, was like, fresh off of the Funkasaurus thing, right? Yeah, she was. Or, and then, or like, uh, Funkadactyl or whatever. Yeah, the Funkadactyls. Yeah. Very cursed Naomi, yeah, though. This was yeah. not... But Paige, like... The Bellas, obviously, kind of, like... You could point to them as, like, one of the diva women's revolution uh, duos or even just superstars. Paige is definitely mm-hmm. another one because Paige feels like an absolute main eventer when she comes out but yes the match yeah um but yeah naomi kind of like ended up becoming cool later but not really here uh everything in this match not a very long match everything in it is kind of sloppy um yeah nikki beaten down a lot earlier in this match she comes back she gets uh page up for her finishing move the rack attack but naomi comes in and hits her move the rear view on her which is literally just she jumps and shoves her ass in your face um she tries to pin nikki bella but page breaks up the pin page puts her in the pto submission hold but naomi kicks her in the face to break it up naomi hits a poison rana for a two count nikki then gets naomi hits the rack attack and pins her Five minutes and 12 seconds. Uh, Nikki Bella retains the title. Now, there isn't a lot to talk about this match. I thought they, they had a really cool Tower of Power, uh, Tower of Doom spot. Tower um, of Power. Tower of Power. Tower of Doom spot that you don't really see a lot in women's matches uh, with Bella, uh, Nikki Bella play, playing the role of like the person that's slamming both of the other superstars. Um, but again, it isn't really a smooth match, and that's a theme for the rest of the card. Like, if you think about, if I'm thinking back on it, Owen Cena was pretty smooth. Neville, uh, Neville Bo Dallas was really smooth. Outside of that, though, I don't think I think any mentioned Dean and Seth as a smooth match because those two guys are just so damn good. Uh, but other than that, yeah, this was a this was a match. It was okay. It was not great, but uh, it wasn't awful. 
And you it know was, what? It was just that's okay. It was just another example of like of the divas getting rushed. Like you've got like sure Naomi wasn't super over, but like the Bellas were over and Paige was over, and like they were like, no, nah, it's just. Just go get your your six, your six seven minutes and get your shit and get out. Not even they got five. Oh, did they really? They got five. Oh, uh, yeah. Not I so mean be, five be like Diggy Langston right now. I want five. <laughs> <laughs> five five minutes for a, a triple threat is not enough because, like, to have a triple threat, you have to have one of the people get incapacitated, and five minutes isn't enough to do that. <laughs> yeah. You need to have some build-up. There's yeah, no exactly. build-up. It's just like they just kind of go to the finish, and then it's over. Yeah. It like, yeah, it's it like the entire match was the last five minutes of any match ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they go straight to the finish, and Nikki Bella retains the title. Next up, this is, I think we could probably agree, best match on the show. We have a champion versus champion match. It is the NXT champion Kevin Owens and the United States champion, John Cena. This was the debut feud of Kevin Owens on the main roster, his first like big main roster match. Such a memorable debut feud for KO that just immediately put him over as a big deal. I loved watching the, uh, the pre-match promo for this because they show his debut is so cool. When he comes out and he shit-talks Cena, and then he hits him with the pop-up power bomb, and he steps <laughs> on the United States title. It was like, it was just insane seeing that in 2015, especially as somebody who was like a big fan of Kevin Steen and Ring of Honor. It's like <laughs> I just watched Kevin Steen power bomb John Cena. <laughs> it was awesome. It was so cool. Um, yeah, so this is a great, great feud. Like I immediately put over Kevin Owens as a a big guy. Um, John Cena comes out. Obviously, he gets a huge pop, partially because this was originally supposed to be a house show crowd. House show crowds are generally very kid-heavy, and there's a lot of kids in the crowd for this one as such. And every kid ever has loved John Cena. Are you calling me a kid? Because you know who else loves John Cena? I love John Cena. And I'm going to talk about it, so I'll let you finish. You're a kid at heart. I am a 14-year-old at heart, thank you. But yeah, there, there is a really, really good atmosphere for this match. And this is a really good match. It's really just like a lot of near falls, especially like, especially last 10 minutes. It's like big move, two count, big move, two count, big move, two count. But they're good near, like, yeah. they're not like dumb ones. Like they're yeah. all like, <gasps> yeah, it's not. It's it, the match falls into a, a really good rhythm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Cena immediately is is really putting over Kevin Owens in this match as a big threat. I mean, early on in this match, you have KO bullying him and kind of wearing him down. And I know Cena is bumping for every single strike Kevin throws. Like, Kevin throws a punch, Cena bumps. Kevin throws another punch, Cena gets up, bumps again. <laughs> this is bu- John Cena bumps his ass off for Kevin Owens in this match. It makes him look great. Uh, Cena fires back, hits the five-knuckle shuffle, he tries to get him up for the AA, but Kevin Owens turns it into the pop-up powerbomb. Cena kicks out of Kevin Owens' finisher very early on in this match. Kevin Owens goes up for the moonsault. He misses. Cena gets him up for the attitude adjustment. He hits it, and then KO kicks out. So you have both guys kicking out of each other's finishers in the first, like, five, six minutes of this match. So Kevin Owens goes on the offensive. He teases doing the five-knuckle shuffle. 
uh, by uh, on of his own. But Cena grabs him. He puts him in the STF submission hold. KO gets out. He shoots him off the ropes. He hits an AA of his own. But then Cena kicks out. Cena, again, we fall into the groove where it's just like big move, near fall, big move, near fall. Uh, Cena hits a tornado DDT. He hits a guillotine leg drop. He gets him up for the added, another attitude adjustment, but KO turns it into that movie used to where he would pick the guy up. You know, the package pile driver used to be his finishing move before he joined WWE and they didn't let him do it anymore. He would pick him up like he was going to do the package pile driver. And every time I would see it, I would get excited like he's going to do it. And then he, would, he always did like a kind of a side slam. And I, I, my least favorite move ever is the, is the, is the Dick tease package pile driver. But he hits him with that move. Cena comes back with the uh, springboard stunner, just more near fall, near fall, near fall. KO hits a fisherman buster off the top rope. He hits a swanton bomb and Cena kicks out. Cena kills him with a couple big clotheslines. He goes for a third, but KO ducks it. Cena comes back off the ropes. KO hits the pop-up powerbomb. And Kevin Owens pins John Cena clean in the middle of the ring in 20 minutes and 42 seconds. Huge crowd reaction for the finish and Kevin Owens going over. Afterwards, he grabs the mic. He cuts a promo. He says, now everyone knows who Kevin Owens is. He gives John some, quote, veteran advice. It's time for you to go because my time is now. The champ is here. <laughs> Loved it. Oh, man. Killer. Awesome. It was so good. Okay. I'm so going to say this because I know what you guys are going to talk about. So I'm going to take my turn first. There's a reason John Cena has so many four and a half to five star matches under his belt. It's because the guy can fucking work. I know KO was great, undoubtedly. But this match, I think, to me, showed why Cena is so good. He can tell any story, and his timing in the ring is impeccable, in my opinion. I think that in this match, he showed that timing. Uh, there was an AA. Uh, Kevin Owens missed a moonsault, okay? And the timing for Cena to get into the AA was quick, but not so quick that the crowd couldn't like appreciate it. Just little stuff like that, and I was like, man, that is why... Like that that's why they put KO with Cena. They knew Cena was gonna give him a great match. And I mean, how many how many AAs did Cena hit two? Did he, he hit, even get two? He hit, he hit one. one. He hit one. He hit one. And how many awesome near falls were there? A bunch. Right. Like, how often do you see that in a in a WWE match that doesn't have like finisher spam? You don't. And I just like he hit a, a freaking tornado DDT at one point. Like, are you kidding me? John Cena is hitting tornado moves in 2015. <laughs> this was my favorite period of Cena when he, like, started just doing random moves. Like, like he started doing the springboard, springboard stunner. stunner. <laughs> Wait, what is this? Yeah, it was awesome. Like, I love, I, I love self-aware Cena so much. I just went back and watched the Firefly Funhouse again. Oh, uh, my the God. The Firefly I Funhouse that. match. It was even better the second time because you knew what it was going in. Like, I don't know, man. Cena Cena just works well with anybody. It's crazy. Cena is the perfect guy, especially during this era now, like 2015, because he's Full definitely stop. Full stop. I mean, yes. Yeah. Perfect guy. He is perfect literally guy. the perfect guy. <laughs> but like also during this time, because like 
it's hard to care about those TV titles in WWE, mostly because they get booked like a joke. So having Cena hold that U.S. title and carry it around proudly really does help legitimize that title and pass it over to the next guy. You also have Cena as the perfect guy, the perfect instrument to put other guys over. Like, he puts the Fiend over, like, in the Firefly Funhouse match at WrestleMania. He's putting Kevin Owens here in a great way. And it's not just, like, for the sake of, like, spectacle, like you see with a lot of uh, WWE events. Like, they'll just do it for the whole thing. They'll do it for the show. Like, having Goldberg out there. Goldberg's not putting anybody over. The only reason reason why (laughs) Goldberg is there is to try and draw some of those old fans and say, Oh, we have Goldberg on the Royal Rumble. You're going to tune in for Goldberg, aren't you? And it's just like, <laughs> no, it's 2021. I don't want Goldberg. Although a lot of people still want Goldberg. Uh, but, like, he's there. This is, we are not we are not <laughs> going to slander Goldberg here today. <laughs> not what we have gathered here for. But, like, Cena, like, self-aware Cena, it doesn't matter how many losses Cena takes. He's still one of the best to ever do it. So anyone you pair him with. And tell a story with is putting him over. The Owens story makes a lot of sense because you have Kevin Owens, the NXT champion, uh, trying to make a name for himself at the cost of like the TV title champion at the time, who was John Cena. That makes a lot of sense for me. Um, and him doing the pop-up powerbomb, stepping on the U.S. title, I think it's all just per- a perfect lineup. And it's a perfectly told quick story. You don't need to always have every story told over the span of six months and have to take out an eyeball. But you could tell a solid story in four weeks, which is what Kevin Owens and John Cena did. It doesn't have to always continue past four weeks, but there's a way to establish a story instead of just saying, oh, yeah, these two fought. Here, they're going to have a main event match or a match at the next pay-per-view. We. Yeah. But, but seriously, this match was so awesome. It was really good, and it was paced really well. And uh, the only downside to it was, again, at the end, you have big move, cover, near fall. Big move. Cover. I wouldn't say that's a downside. I know. I no. think it, I, for me, it got a little bit repetitive. It's not bad. I think like it went maybe three big moves too long, but the finish is still really good. I think this match is still really good. I, I I think something that could that could help what Ange was talking about because I kind of understand would be like more uh, like like one of the things I love about New Japan matches are that there there aren't always a ton of near falls. But there's so many finisher reversals. And I think that that's something that they could, like, the finish to this match kind of came out of nowhere. So it would have been cool to see, like, he's in the AA. No, he's in the package move. Now he's back in the AA. Now he's against the ropes. uh, Powerbomb. Something like that. It it got to the point where there were no counters. Like, like, I think, Jake, you put that. That's actually a really good observation. There wasn't any counters. It was just guy hits big move or guy gets to his feet a little bit faster. And that was how they they changed the pace. I kind of see what you mean then. But, like. I loved it, so I don't care. <laughs> no, I, 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 again, that's me being a nitpicker. This was a fantastic match. Yeah, and we all love Kevin Owens, and I think it would be easy for us to you know, spend this time talking about Kevin Owens and how great he is. But, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, a, uh, this is a zone where we will never, ever speak ill of John Cena. Because he's great. And I think I'm glad, as, that, I'm glad that you all can appreciate that. I think as you mentioned, Angelo, this particular time period of Cena is one of my favorites. Especially because you mentioned that U.S. title. I would say that I don't know in the 21st century in WWE has a mid-card singles title, one of the like, like U.S. title, Intercontinental, Intercontinental title, ever felt more important 
as that U.S. title run did proceed. The when only he was other- doing when he was doing the open challenge, open challenge, man, I love that. There was I, it. I don't know if the uh, if the mid card belt has ever felt that meaningful in WWE in the last twenty years. The only thing I could think of that even comes close, and it really doesn't, because it involves the Miz, uh, is when the Miz had that really long IC title run, uh, because he was a guy who was always on top of the TV, and you know what? He wasn't being treated like a joke at that time. He was always like still serious, still passionate. He's like, here, I'm here every single week. And he would have feuds with like Cena and say like I am on t- I'm here every single week I perform uh, I'm on TV every single week you you can't compare to me I am illegitimate I have earned the respect of my peers and like he'll go on about like that spiel and like that version of the Miz I thought was really cool because he was still a prick but like he was a prick he held the title for a really long time and you know what he did go out every other every week and you know what? he had some fu- fun matches and he was always fantastic on the mic. It's not just a repeat of whatever he was doing back in 2009 with John Morrison every week. It was actually a legitimate story with The Miz. And I think... I, I, but it was nowhere near the Cena U.S. title. I, I think that with, with mid-cards, like... I mean, so, like, open challenges, you see other guys try that and they drop it after, like, two weeks. But I think that... I think that the top belts work better on heels and the mid-card belts work better on faces because... Like, I, I love seeing open challenges. Like, Cena's just like, all right, I'm better than you. Come fight me. You know? Yeah. yeah I, always, I, I always I always wish that that was more of a fixture. I mean, AEW did it with Cody in the TNT title, and it was yep. great. It was great. And it put over a lot of new guys. It's the reason we have Eddie Kingston right now is because he was in that open challenge. It made him a star. But, yeah, this was such a great – I love this match, and – Again, this feud was so awesome to watch happen live, especially for a guy like KO who I've been invested in for a long time because you watched it and the just the way that program was booked with, with, with KO winning that match on the first night, going over clean and, um, you know, looking like a badass. And, you know, Cena really did a lot in this match to make him look strong. And make him look like a killer. It was like that right there is how you make a new star. Yep, absolutely. And don't really need to talk about all the stuff that uh, that happened afterwards. But wait, what happened? Wait, hold on, just just really quickly, what happened afterwards? Because I honestly forget. Uh, Cena then beat him a bunch of times in a row after this. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> Remember yeah. whenever Keith Lee beat Randy Orton clean? Yeah. And then, and then that, never that fucking was it. Mattered. Yeah, that was that was it. And then they just stopped. You know, they they well went on to bigger and better things. But yeah, we can ignore the part where then they had like three rematches and Cena beat him every time. But if you end the story here, man, KO looks like he's a freaking killer. Dude. I will say though, even though they do that, not to say that they needed to do that. You don't need Cena to win three times in a row to get the point across. You could have had him beat him once, but. I mean, you didn't need to. You didn't need to have him beat him at all. It's, you know, it's it's, it's John it's, Cena. It's, WW- it's not like you need. It's not like you need to put John Cena over any but, more than he is. But you know, but it's the WWE. You need to do that. It's the WWE, and the WWE always protects their uh, money cow, and money cow is John Cena. So if Cena's gonna drop one here, well, guess what? Cena's gonna get it back. Um, money cow. Cash cow. Cash cow. Cash cow. Sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> a money cow. Either way, we it. are we, we do not keep enough track of the weird shit Angelo says. I need to I need to start my own separate word document. Dude. I swear <laughs> to God, dude. Either way, I love I th- it. like the thing that's going to stand out to us is the fact that Owens went over Cena the first time. Even if Cena gets the win then later on, the thing that stands out is that Owens went over Cena clean the first time. Yes, and I agree with you. When I think back at this feud, I think of KO cutting the promo, stepping on the belt, and I think of KO beating him clean the first time. And then I think about it a little more. I'm like, well, he did get his ass beat every time after that, but whatever. It's fine. Good, good, good feud. Good match. High point of the show, for sure. So, next up, we have two two more former NXT champions are up in just a random singles match. We have Bo Dallas and Neville. So, Bo Dallas, I, I personally have always been a Bo Lieber. He cuts a promo on the way to the ring. And we could, we could talk about this Bo Dallas persona. I Bo Dallas, especially in NXT, was legitimately one of my favorite wrestling characters. Um, he cuts a promo on the way to the ring. He's saying that he's going to force Neville to Bo leave. <laughs> and then you come out, you have, you have Neville. You know, I, I so completely identify him now as the bastard pack that it's, it's so, and he's so great as that just asshole heel that it's so weird to see him as a baby face. It's it's so hard to go back and just square away that these are the same guy. And this version of Neville was pretty cool. You know, the man that gravity forgot is a pretty cool nickname, you know. He's, but he's doing the stupid, like, superhero gimmick. Yeah, like, which has never been good. never worked. No, it never worked. It didn't work for Ricochet. I don't know if it really worked for Neville, but he was a special enough you know, wrestler that, it, you know, we kind of ignored it. It was fine. You know, he was cool. You always liked seeing him because it was fun to watch him wrestle. Right. Um, so this is kind of a nothing, like, this is like a raw match. Yeah. Um, so you have Neville get some cool spots early on. He gets a big moonsault to the floor, but then Bo, the heel, takes over. He gets the heat. He has him in a cravat for, like, three minutes. Uh, there's no heat for this match at all. I mean, the crowd is dead silent. Neville gets a comeback. He hits a standing shooting star press for a two count, and then he takes him out with an enzigiri. He hits the red arrow, and he wins. Eight minutes and 53 seconds. Neville wins. And again, it's it's like a raw match. It's they made right. a Neville match boring. Yeah. Like, how about you just let... Like, I, I mean, David, maybe 2015 is kind of like a like a dark spot in my mind because I didn't really watch it then and I didn't pay attention on my rewatch very well. Was Neville over at this point? He was over in terms of like, okay, so like the NXT fans would react big to him when he showed up because he was an NXT guy. Because that was still but not where like the concept of like NXT guys coming up to the main, like guys getting over on NXT because people actually watch NXT now. And then they come up to the big show. Like, guys were always kind of over. And he came out and he would have some cool matches and did some cool spots so people liked watching him. He had a great right. match with Seth Rollins on Raw where they did, like, a like a false finish where, like, you thought he was going to win the title. And, like, people went crazy for it. Uh, yeah. It was an awesome match. But 
yeah, like it was okay. it was the kind of like over where it's like he doesn't really have a character to support it and you know that he's not going to get booked really strong so like you knew it was going to kind of peter out and then it did yeah because like the first thing like you go ahead jake i'm sorry well i I was just going to finish my my first thought like if you want to get neville over it's kind of like ricochet why don't you just tell him go out there do some cool shit and then get out like he didn't even get a chance to do his cool shit in this match i didn't think yeah it's it's not like if you're somebody like Neville, I mean, like, I, I always take, I use the Hardys as an example all the time. Because genuinely, Jeff Hardy is one of the shittiest promos ever. But, yeah. like, the guy was always really over because he was, I mean, A, you know, it, it's hard to compare anyone to the Hardys because, like, the Hardys were, like, just kind of, just, like, this unique version of cool that, yeah. like, in 2001, like, everyone wanted to dress like Jeff Hardy, you know what I mean? <laughs> But, like, they just kind of did cool shit. And so it's like, okay, well, like, Ricochet could just go do cool shit. You know, he might not be, you know, he might not get over like the Hardys did, but you could just have them go out and do cool shit. Like, have him be a stoic character, not so much, like, a guy that needs to be inspirational. Which is what they try to do with him. Like, just yeah. just kind of be, don't be, like, a model person. Just kind of be, like, a stoic. You don't need to say too many things. You let, you let your work in the ring show what you say, whatever. But having Ricochet, like, also, like, let's not talk about the fact that, like, Ricochet didn't get booked like crap before he couldn't cut a promo. Because look at what happened to him at, uh, at Brock Lesnar's hands at the Saudi Arabia show. Oh, God. Where he wins, yeah. the, he wins the, he, I think he goes over Lashley. To win the number one contendership, and then Brock just absolutely ragdolls him, <laughs> and not not a second passed. They thought, "Wow, you know what? Ricochet might actually beat Brock." Yeah, it was a tw- it was a twenty second match, if that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's back to this match. Um, I, I, the first thing that when Neville comes out, I'm like, who the hell is this corny shit? Because I think the bastard pack is way cooler than a, oh, any Jack- any superhero gimmick. Even if the man that Gravity forgot is a really cool nickname. Um, but he, cool. Yeah, it's a cool nickname. But he, but he also looks like, because he doesn't have his facial hair fully grown out, he looks like a mix of Nick Cage and the live-action Shaggy actor. Hmm. Matthew, Matthew Lillard, I believe. Why do you name. not know Matthew Lillard's name, honestly? Because I don't watch what? movies. Oh, Matthew, Damn, bro, so you good. need to start but watching anyway. movies. There's all kinds of streaming services, man. You can watch all kinds of. I, do, I, just, I just speaking don't. of that, yeah, you're gonna have Peacock here soon. This is oh, true. Yeah, let's. Yeah, I shit, dude. We're gonna be watching this on Peacock. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, uh, that's gonna that's gonna screw up my whole my whole routine, man. But <laughs> Neville, the Neville just in the ring is second to none. Like the things that he can do. He, because he, he's got like, like Michael Cole says, he's got the ability to wrestle on the mat with power, and he has all the high flying things that you're looking for, like the Red Arrow. Amazing looking move, incredible looking move. It looks like it like has a lot of impact. It looks like it should be a finisher, even if it takes a little, little bit of time to set up when he's on the top rope. Um, but Bo, like everything about him here is punchable, and that's a good thing for him because he's just yes. supposed to be that shit eating heel. Yep. Um, he's also only 25 here, so like. He is my age now in the ring doing this stuff. So, I mean, kudos to that guy. But pair him with Bray. I, I want to see some things with him and Bray. Now, if the whole thing is like they're brothers and they want to stand on their own, fine. But I feel like a Bo and Bray pairing just could be so much fun. 
I don't yeah, know how I, you would work that in, but yeah, it's I always found it weird that like Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas have been employed by the same company on the main roster for years now, and it has never really been referred to like alluded to in any way that they are brothers. Nope. Why would you? I don't I mean I don't know. Like again, they have extremely different characters. But I just found it interesting that they've never alluded to it. And let alone the fact that their dad was the evil tax accountant. <laughs> <laughs> and they and, and they love doing that shit. Like they love being like, oh, and they're they, they love putting brothers together that aren't brothers, like the Dudleys, and not recognizing yeah. brothers that are actually brothers. Yeah. But like how they used to say that uh, Zach Ryder and Kurt Hawkins were brothers. Were brothers? Yeah. <laughs> Edge and Christian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Bo, like Bo Dallas's promo, his, his promo made me want to punch him. The way he acted made me want to punch him. And you know what? That's solid for heel work. Whether you want to make that a top of the card heel or a mid card heel, it always works because you, he, you always want to see him get his comeuppance. Yeah, I, I loved NXT Bo Dallas so much. He was such an entertaining character as this sort of this like asshole heel who had zero self awareness. And thought that he was actually like the big virtuous babyface that the fans loved, and that he was the hero of the story when he was actually the asshole that everyone hated. He got like insane amounts of heat. He was awesome. I I loved him so much. How for how long were we saying that Roman should have had that gimmick where he's like like a like a, uh, a completely unself aware heel, but he thinks. He's the biggest baby face in town. He's like Homelander. Yeah. But yeah, he's like Homelander. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But like, um, like for Bo, it was always played for comedy, but I yeah. feel like you could all like, you could do that in a more like in a more serious way where a guy yeah, like, genuinely like psychotically deluded for whatever reason. <laughs> like home, like you could basically just do Homelander. Yeah. Tone it down a little bit. It is a PG show, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to see people get impaled and gorged and ripped in half. I, we just finished watching the boys uh, a couple days ago, so I get the reference. No I'm, I'm glad that we were able to wa- make this reference now because I've seen the show. It's a great show. I love it. I love it. It's, it's next on my list. So. It's awesome. It's a good show. You're gonna you're gonna like it. You're gonna like okay. it. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I I still believe to this day, even though he's still on the main roster technically yeah. like he's still signed to wwe but i don't know where he is well, not sh- him in, like, yeah you say like oh they have completely different characters i don't know how you work it in he hasn't been on tv i think in a year shout out to the b team yeah what a what a team that was that B-team, was fun b team go 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 what a great team man <laughs> i can't believe they shirt. i can't dude i i was into the b team for like you and me both I was all, into all three it of us yeah I, I was into it for a minute i couldn't ask for a better team to have de- uh, defeated the leaders of worlds yeah i, I was into oh it. god Ooh, cursed yeah. okay <sighs> so let's get into something else cursed next up yeah there is some interesting stuff going on with the smash so it is time for the second elimination chamber match it is for the now vacant intercontinental title Daniel Bryan, champion, actually had just relinquished the title due to injury. Turns out to be the concussion issues that he had to eventually retire from. He relinquished the title. He is actually at ringside for this match to award the new champion with the Intercontinental belt. Um, So starting out in the pods, we have Mark Henry, who is replacing 
Rusev. They did an injury angle with Rusev to kick him out of this match. So it's Henry, Sheamus, R-Truth, and Feed Me More. It's Ryback. Ryback's here. Um, and Ryback's pretty over. Ryback comes out. Did you guys hear the the fake story <laughs> that Michael Cole was telling when Ryback was coming in? Michael Cole tells this like really long-winded but insanely obviously fake story about like Ryback, like like some kid telling Ryback like something motivational. At a Why'd you station. lose Ryback? <laughs> and it, like it like has inspired Ryback to become a babyface, and he was like, <laughs> and then he said something about like he's dedicating this match to that kid who's watching today. <laughs> it was so, it was so fake. I was dying. When I purposefully <laughs> blocked out every word that Michael Cole says, so I didn't even hear it. It was so funny, but yeah, that that kid was watching this match today, and he was inspiring <laughs> Ryback. Oh <my> <laughs> and um. And that kid Starting. grew up to be John, uh, John Silver. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Hungy. So, starting off, so we have those four guys in the pods, Henry, Trayman, Henry, Seamus, Truth, and Ryback. And starting off in the ring, we have King Barrett, Wade, Garrett, Wade Barrett, post-King of the Ring gimmick, dog shit, hated it. And, Awful. Uh, Dolph Ziggler, who's actually decently over in this match. So they start out... They have a relatively boring four-minute match. Uh, R-Truth is the first guy in. Barrett immediately beats him down, like, right as he, like, before he even really leaves the pod. Really, this whole section of the match is Barrett kicking the shit out of both guys simultaneously. He then, this is where it gets interesting. So, he grabs Ziggler on the outside, and he slams him into Mark Henry's pod. And the little plastic wall of Henry's pod pops out. And all of a sudden, the pod's open. And according to Dave Meltzer, at least, this was not supposed to happen. Like, the, the, the pod wall was not supposed to come out. And Mark Henry was not supposed to enter the match at this point in time. So the pod door pops out. Open the pod and bay I, door, Al. And so everyone's <laughs> like, wait. Like, like the, the crowd gets the crowd gets excited because they're like, "Oh shit, he broke the pod! What's going to happen?" Mark Henry's not supposed to be in the match yet, so he's like, "Oh shit! Like, what do I do?" <laughs> kind of stands there awkwardly for a second, and then they all just kind of decide, "All right, uh, you know what? You might as well just get in the match, Mark." So he gets in. Then, literally, like ten seconds later, is the time for the next scheduled guy to enter the match, and. It ends up being Ryback. So you're left to assume that Henry is supposed to enter at some point after Ryback, and he's in the match like five minutes earlier. So they now have to improvise all this shit. His his name was still on like the graphic whenever they show like like who they're gonna pick. His name was still on the graphic, but his the light didn't turn on over his pod. It did yeah. briefly. They at least it, fixed that. It did briefly, but then they like corrected it as light was flashing about. Which I don't know how they did that. Yeah. So I, I, I assume that from just how the match goes, it was supposed to be Ryback, then Mark Henry, then Sheamus, I think. Yeah, that would but We don't sense. know. Um, but Henry's in this match like five minutes too early. And, you know, Mark Henry, we love him, but he's never been, you know, an all-time classic wrestler. 
he kind of has no idea what the hell he's doing right now. And he's like standing there awkwardly, like <laughs> no idea what to do. <laughs> There's this one spot where uh, Wade Barrett hits Ziggler with the wasteland. And he tries to pin him. And then Mark Henry breaks up the pin, which it's an elimination match. You don't do that. Like, there's no reason for you to break up a pin. Like, he's just he's just completely lost in space, and no one has any idea what's going on. Um, somewhere in all this chaos, our truth hits the lie detector on Wade Barrett, and he pins him. So Barrett is the first guy out. Finally, we get to. What I guess was supposed to be the second to last entrant. Now it's the last entrant. It's Sheamus. It's time for him to come in, but they do this spot where like the door is stuck, so he can't enter for a few minutes. I guess they kind of use that little gimmick to kind of get things back on more of a regular schedule. Sheamus can't enter the match for a few more minutes, and they can kind of get things back on track to where they were supposed to be. Uh, Ryback in the ring. He hits the shell shock on our truth He pins him, so Truth is the second guy out. Eventually, after some downtime, Sheamus kind of like picks the lock to his pod and breaks out. So now here he is. Got everybody into the match. We get some back and forth between Sheamus and Mark Henry. Sheamus hits the bro kick and he pins him, so Henry's out. Towards the end of this match, really the latter half, this match loses steam in a huge way. And the crowd dies. Everything slows down super hard. Dolph hits a Famouser on Sheamus, but Sheamus just kind of pops right back up. He hits the bro kick on Dolph, and he pins him. So we are down to just Sheamus and Ryback. Ryback is definitely the crowd favorite. We're getting the feed me more chance. We get like a little five-minute or so match between Sheamus and Ryback. Um, Sheamus hits the white noise on the outside. He rolls Ryback into the ring, but Ryback kicks out. They go back outside. They fight some more. Sheamus hits a rolling senton onto the steel. He goes for a broke kick, but Ryback catches him, power bombs him, or power bombs him back into the ring. He gets him up. He hits the shell shock. Ryback pins Sheamus and wins the Intercontinental title in 25 minutes and 10 seconds. Afterwards, Daniel Bryan gets in the ring. He presents Ryback with the title. He cuts a little promo where he calls him the Ryback. He puts him over, and he starts a yes chant, and everyone's happy for Ryback. Uh, this is just, I, whenever you said something, the way I understood it was that Sheamus had put his Celtic cross in the lock of the door so that it wouldn't open. Which is genius. Was that was that how you understood it, Angelo? Yes, like I thought it was on okay. purpose. Like so he so he could spend more time in the pod, not be in the match, right. and like save himself towards the very end. Right. That's yeah. I, I I didn't know if if I just read something wrong, but yeah, I might have I might have just missed that. I don't know. Okay. It was it was kind of like the only way you could tell was because like he pulled it out and like kissed it, and JBL said something like, "Oh, like that's so smart," and Michael Cole was like, "That's a coward move" or something like that. But anyway. Uh, yeah, this was bad, man. This was, uh, as Angelo says, it's okay to be bad. It's not okay to be boring. And this was boring. Yes. Because Mark Henry looked like a guy who just sent his friend to tell a girl at the bar that he wants to talk to her. The funniest, the funniest <laughs> thing in this match was like, yeah, okay. So, you know, it's obviously tough when, when the structure of the match gets thrown off 
like this much, especially in a, like an elimination chamber match has to be like relatively tightly plotted. And once that gets screwed up, like, you know, it, it gets, it gets tough. But I loved watching that one exchange where it's like after Henry comes in and it's like, you know, Barrett and Ziggler are going back and forth and they're doing their spots. And Henry is standing there just watching. <laughs> he is standing there like a statue, just staring at them. Standing the there, like, standing there like a, like a middle school boy watching two of his friends fight in the hallway. Yeah. Just <laughs> real bad stuff. Oh, man. That makes a lot of sense now, though, the fact that wasn't planned. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was not planned. And <laughs> this is just something else. This really doesn't have anything to do with the match. But you guys remember whenever Ryback was in the main event? And Back in Hell in Cell 2012? Yeah. 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 Like, uh, and 2013, actually. Um, I just think that it's really funny that literally the next year, Ryback is losing to Kalisto, like, every week. Yeah. Like, how? Yikes. I don't know. Could you imagine Goldberg losing to Kalisto or like Goldberg losing like to Rey Mysterio? Mysterio? Yeah, like that that would just never happen. So WWE took something good and ruined it. And yet it, again. It's interesting too, because like Ryback he is in the mold of Goldberg. Like got like his entire gimmick is that he doesn't lose. Yeah, and which is Ryback. If, Ryback was a copy of Goldberg, essentially. Yeah. Oh, well, they, they used to do the chain. <laughs> which is, fu- but it's a fun gimmick. Like it's a fun thing to see because you'd like seeing the guy who looks like legitimately tougher than anyone else in the company, and he just wins all the time, and that's his entire thing. And you could do it well. Like I think as kind of an example of this, it's probably a bad one. Is like Undertaker in the late two thousands because like he wasn't around all the time. But the only times he was around was whether it was for a personal feud, like, uh, for example, like him versus the Great Khali, where it was a feud not over a title, or it was for, like, the world title. He never had, like, a feud for the mid uh, the mid card belt or with a guy that was labeled as a mid-carder. Like, he never was making a guy during that time. Uh, and with Ryback here, like, it's for the mid-title, so it's weird to have that guy win the mid-title because the only way you really get it off him is like in a triple threat match where he gets thrown out and isn't involved with the pin directly, or you have him hurt and he has to drop the title due to injury. Because you're not going to have him lose straight up. And if he is losing straight up, you have to do some weird Goldberg shit like tasing the guy. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, he had started losing by that point. So but, yeah, but, yeah, that, but, the, but that's what ruins the allure, though. Once you start, yeah, yeah. Bu- once you start booking him like just another wrestler, he's like, okay, so he's tough, but he still loses all the same. So why should I be super invested in him anymore? Right. And and there's like they literally have lists of like like the guys who have pinned Brock Lesnar clean or the list of guys that have been pinned Goldberg clean and who are some of the coolest people ever? Brock and Goldberg, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a reason yeah. for that. And, and once that alert starts falling with Ryback, like he's still over at this point, at least with the crowd. But it's hard to like I don't know recapture the magic that got him there i don't think having him lose once in a while is a bad thing but once he's getting booked to lose i'd say we'll say once a month that's not good when your entire game is the guy that doesn't lose yep for sure yeah you can't you know you can't put the lightning back in the bottle that was 2012 2013 ryback where they just (laughs) they booked him like goldberg and he got over and (laughs) and then well you know when when you have the monster who is uh, beating everybody, when he starts losing, well, then 
Like, if your whole gimmick is that you never lose, and then you start losing, well, then you're fucked, dude. Now he's now he's not the big guy. He's just a guy. He's a guy who's big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's yeah. not the big guy. He's a guy that's big. And yeah. I think that, like, oh man, I just I really wish that they could have captured that a little bit more later on. Like, like there are ways to protect guys like that, and they were just like, nah, <laughs> he'll be fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like Ryback was. I don't know. Like, Ryback, he, he is, like, a very one-to-one Goldberg-type guy in a lot of ways, <laughs> down to the point where, like, you know, they would do a lot of the same moves. Like, Ryback was, like, considered kind of a dangerous worker <laughs> and, you know, wasn't really great on the mic or anything. But, like, both guys, like, I thought, I've always thought Ryback had this kind of charisma to him. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, he had a he had a real charisma to him. Real on Goldberg charisma. did, like. Goldberg didn't really talk that much and he wasn't a great wrestler. And, you know, people complained that he was you know, dangerous in the ring, but the guy just had this charisma. And I always felt that Ryback had that kind of charisma. You know what I mean? I mean, all Goldberg had to say was you're next. And everybody went wild. Like, yeah. you know, you don't have to, and like, uh, Ryback, could you feed me more? And people yeah. loved it. Right. Like, I'm, I'm hungry. I want to eat, please. <laughs> It goes crazy. Right. Uh, one last thing on Ryback, and then I'll be done with it. The only good squash matches in history were Ryback squash matches because he would just pick up three jabronis and shell shock all three of them at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And it was awesome. <laughs> it, it, yeah. I believe the energy that we're talking about is huge, jacked, bald guy energy. Oh, um, that is a that is a level of energy, absolutely. But yeah. there there are a lot of funny things that like while watching this match, it just don't make sense. Like one of them being Ryback just suddenly like he's attacking Dolph Ziggler in the corner, and then he suddenly runs over to attack Mark Henry, who's attacking our truth, like for no reason. Um, and Dolph selling the bro kick, bro kick, because Dolph sells the hell out of that bro kick. Like he flops like a dead body the moment he gets it. I want. I, I hope I, I'm gonna go look on YouTube after this and see if there's like a good supercut of Dolph selling finishers. Oh my god! <laughs> because my god, does that man sell finishers? Like I, I, I just remember being so excited for when they booked Goldberg and Dolph Ziggler because <laughs> I was like, dear God, how on earth is Dolph Ziggler going to sell a Goldberg spear? Like he might do a quintuple back, <laughs> and he did. <laughs> yeah, and it was like. And I, I, I had no idea what to expect, but I was not disappointed at all. <laughs> his soul left his body when he yeah. took that spear. It was incredible. It was everything I ever dreamed it to be. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to look this up right now while David talks, whenever David starts talking about the next match. Yes. Uh, next match, it's main event time. The shield explodes, just like the <laughs> mega powers. We have continued fallout from the breakup of the shield. The corporate champion, Seth Rollins, defending the WWE title against popular wacky babyface, Dean Ambrose. They had a segment earlier on in the show where it was established that Roman Reigns, the third Shield guy who at the time, Shield's done with, but Roman and Dean are still buddies. Roman is intending on going out there and backing up Dean in this match, but then Triple H, evil corporate bastard authority guy comes up and says you know what we're not gonna let this happen roman if you get involved 
uh, he will be uh, Dean will get disqualified, and then it's further established as they're coming out for this match that Roman is in fact barred from ringside. So Dean comes out the challenger. He gets the big pop. He was the guy who was really, I, if I remember correctly, my feeling was that he was the guy who was really kind of over coming out of the Shield breakup, as like as a, as a real baby face. Um, and you get Seth coming out. He's got all the goons with him. He's got corporate Kane, and he's got the duo of J and J security, Jamie Noble and <laughs> Joey Mercury. No word. If uh, Jamie Noble brought his sex case, <laughs> I, I I can't stop thinking about that whenever I look at Jamie Noble. Um, so yeah, this is this is a good match, um, marred for me somewhat by uh, JBL's commentary because he was doing the thing that he would do back in this time period when you're talking about Dean becoming champion, where it's like. He can't shut up about how bad Dean would be <laughs> in the image of the company if he was champion. Like, God, imagine if you tried to take him to a shareholders meeting. He'd probably get into a fight with someone. It's like, shut the fuck up, JBL. <laughs> God damn, bro. Um, yeah, he, he does this for like 10 minutes. It almost ruins the match for me. The crowd at one point is chanting, is chanting Justin Bieber at Seth Rollins for some reason. I don't know why. I, mean, I didn't get that either. I don't know why they were chanting that. Or maybe they were chanting it at Dean. I don't know why they were chanting it or at who. But they were. Um, so Dean hits a sit-out face buster. He does a suicide dive, and they topple over the announce table. But a, a part of the match is you have the little pipsqueak goons, J&J, Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury, constantly distracting Dean on the outside and allowing Seth to take over and you know gain momentum. Seth hits the the power bomb into the barricade, which I think he ended up stopping like stopping using that move after he fucked up Finn Balor with it when he would do it on the outside. Uh, he does it to Dean. He hits a flying knee off the top rope. He hits an inverted DDT. Dean comes back. He hits a tornado DDT for a near fall. He kills him with that big rebound clothesline that he used to do. He hits a diving elbow drop. He sets up for Dirty Deeds, but again, Jamie Noble, Joey Mercury, they get involved. They let Seth take advantage. Seth hits a suicide dive. He hits the buckle bomb into the corner, but Dean bounces straight out of the corner. He clotheslines him. He goes up to the top rope. He dives to the outside. He takes out all three of the, go all three of the goons at ringside. They end up doing a ref bump where Dean is coming off the top rope and Seth grabs the referee and pulls the referee in, in, in his way. And the referee gets hit and goes out. After this, Dean hits the dirty deeds. First, he tries to pin Seth for a second. There's no ref to count. But then a second ref runs down from backstage. He slides into the ring and he counts the pin. One, two, three. And your new champion, Dean Ambrose. The crowd goes wild. Dean celebrates with the belt. They put the graphic up. New WWE champion, Dean Ambrose. Everyone is screaming, yelling happy. Lillian Garcia announces him as the new WWE champion. But then, all of a sudden, after about a minute of unbridled Dean Ambrose celebration, 
the original ref wakes up and he starts <laughs> arguing with the new ref. And he says, no, you know what? Actually, this isn't counting. I actually disqualified Seth Rollins first for pulling me in front of Dean Ambrose and getting me ref bumped, which people do that all the time in matches and don't get disqualified for it. This happens all the time. But this particular time, it's a disqualification. They just do the classic Dusty finish, as it's called, when he was booking Crockett in the 80s. He would do this shit, like this specific finish all the time. And it sucks. It's announced that the winner is Dean Ambrose. Long pause, dot, dot, dot. However, he actually won by disqualification and still champion Seth Rollins. DQ finish in the main event. Just absolute incredible shithousery in the main event. The fans fucking hate this. There's a big brawl afterward. Roman comes down and aids Dean and they clean house and they take out all the jabronis. Dean holds up the belts. He grabs a mic. He says, I won this match. That means I'm taking the championship. Bye-bye. And him and Roman walk away. He has the belt and his music plays and they celebrate. And that's the end of the show. Now I'm going to start because I'm going to be chided like hell. I, I, act- I actually don't even mind the finish. You like, freaking Mark. <laughs> I didn't mind it either. Angela, I'm with you. I didn't mind it either. <laughs> okay, great. Um, you Marks. You guys are goddamn Marks. So a lot of times DQ, like a blatant DQ finish sucks ass. It is horrible. It kills the vibe. Absolutely. But with this finish, you get the pinfall. You get the feeling that, oh, wait, Dean actually won the match. And it's perfectly logical why the other ref is calling a DQ. Now, as far as logistics go, yeah, you're kind of like... Here's, le- my, here's my problem. Here's my problem. They then do this again. We just watched Roadblock where they do the same thing and they do another dusty finish at Roadblock like a few months later. Now, you that, can only do this so many fucking times. That is a solid with gripe. the same guy. That is a solid gripe. However, this was done first. Despite the fact that we had watched the other one first, this was done first. So if this is like an isolated thing and you're telling a coherent story, perfect. Like, I think the best way to have booked this story after the fact is that you have Dean hold that title. You have Roman play muscle for Dean because Roman had babyface energy somehow, some way in this pay-per-view. Roman Reigns had babyface energy. Let me say that again. Roman Reigns had baby face energy. So you have him play the muscle for Dean, beating up the jabronis, beating up Seth a little bit, on the way to the next pay-per-view, which is Dean versus Seth for the title again. Dean wins clean. And then Roman says, hey, I had your back. Let me get the first shot. And you have Dean versus Roman at like the next pay-per-view. That would be a sensible way to book this, but that's not what they did. No, it's not. Here, so Here comes Angela with the fantasy booking. <laughs> Sorry, it's Dean Ambrose, man. I can't help it. The guy the guy got booked like crap, and that's why he left, and that's why he's the biggest thing in AEW. But, like, this is a fine match. It, it's like what you would see versus, on a Dean versus Seth match on Raw or SmackDown. Um, I did enjoy J&J security. I never realized Joey Mercury was that small. But I also feel like the those two roles could have served to, like, younger talent because again the whole thing is like you're trying to build up stars you're trying to build up guys get them face time 
Yeah, but Jay and Jay got beat, got their shit beat all the time. This all is the time. this is true. all the time. At, at least that's consistent because that then that, that's perfect for them. Because guess what? You don't need to build up Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury because they're <laughs> at the end of the ropes anyway. But yeah. if you, but it feels like if they were going to be a long term thing and you were going to have them actually be, we'll say effective. Uh, giving that to a young guy might have been nice too. But if they're well, just getting, but if they're getting jabroned around, no, no, you give that to that's those like, two guys and smile. That's like saying that you want the Bollywood boys to be main eventers one day. Like it's not. No, that's not, not going at all. to happen. <laughs> no, but I was, that was just my thought. But again, I didn't think the finish was actually bad. It's bad that they continued booking Dean that way. I I didn't think the match was that bad either. I'm sure I've talked shit on that type of finish before. But I I think there's something to be said for a heel that consistently wins matches underhandedly. You want to see them get their comeuppance. And Seth was all in with the with the authority and, and all that. And it seems self-aware because you had Kane like arguing that Seth should have been DQ, which I thought kind of made it make a little more sense. So I was okay with it. I didn't really like the match though. I thought the match was kind of slow and boring. But that's kind of my gimmick now. I think I just think everything's boring in WWE nowadays. Jake just likes to flip flippy shit. Yeah, you you have become more and more jaded the longer we have done this podcast. <laughs> I because I've come to realize just how same everything is. Like, give me something new, please. Let's go back to the '80s where the highlight was a clothesline. And I'll never forget the one time Angelo said he hit a nice suplex. I was like, Angelo, it was 17 minutes into the match. Yeah, yeah. We should. Wa- we need to watch more Michael P. S. Hayes matches. That'll really get you get you going for Dean and Zappy. <laughs> I just again this kind of finish. They call it the Dusty finish because Dusty Rhodes was notorious for booking a lot of these when he was booking, you know, Crockett in the 80s, and he did it way too much. And like really killed a lot of towns with it, and I I just am opposed to it on a on a, on a on a moral ground because I'm a purist. I want to see just people win matches and lose matches, and then you can tell stories about people winning or losing matches. Like it's almost like AEW it, has now made a killing on that. And listen, I'm not going to say that AEW is perfect or anything. But I do love that about them. Yep. You know, I, I do think that especially when you get into it's one thing to do disqualifications or count outs. There are those are part of the fabric of wrestling. I do think that AEW maybe goes a little bit too far towards like, oh, we never do disqualifications. We never do count outs because I mean, like, I think there's places for that to, to do those from time to time in stories. I don't think they should be overused, but I think they should be there as an option. But I think when you get to stuff like this, it it's just so over the top and so contrived that it's really impossible to believe. It's impossible to suspend disbelief for this. And it just takes, it's just like, all right, what is this stupid bullshit? Like (laughs) when I, when I, when I watch a wrestling match, I don't want to like, I want to be able to like, suspend disbelief to the point where I'm not thinking about like, Oh, how they're booking this. You know what I want? I, I, I want to just be able to watch and appreciate the match. It's like a catch rule. Like they, they've like been the hell out of like, what the hell is even a catch now in the NFL? Like you watch all these angles and they have all these definitions and it's just like, well, it looks like a catch. Especially. But- 
And especially when you're talking about something like this, where it's a guy's getting disqualified because he like grabbed and pulled the ref in the way. When you see that all the time and it's not disqualified for. It's also a weirder DQ too. Like it's not like Seth hit the referee. Yeah, he didn't hit the referee. Seth just pulled the referee. Dean hit the referee. So at that point, you could argue that Dean should have been disqualified. And, but like, so I can agree with that finish. Like, okay, you're playing these rules. What's a DQ? What's not a DQ? How are we actually going to finish and book this so that Seth stays a champion, but Dean looks good? I can, I understand that completely. I don't think there's a problem with it every once in a while. The problem is when you become too reliant on it. It's the same thing, like with having the guy go between the ropes on the rumble and then sit around for 20 minutes yeah, and then yeah. come back at the end. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but it, it, it is just. That kind of DQ in that spot didn't make sense. It would have made more sense if Seth had purposely, like, let's say, hit a low blow on the ref. And then the ref gets ref bumped that way. And then later the ref is going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm DQing Seth for hitting me with a low blow. Having a DQ for he pulled me in the way of another guy doing a move is pretty weak. Yeah. and I, Yeah. Again, I, I watched this finish and I was like seriously for that that is so weak i mean maybe it's just because i watch so much new japan and they do horrible violence to the referee that never <laughs> like i just watched they just did a junior heavyweight tag team title match like last week where they went through every single ref in the entire company no they didn't every single one they had i think four different referees in that match no way go back and watch it dude it was um what was it it was Phantasmo and Ishimori versus Kanemaru and um, who was his tag team partner? Somebody. Doki, I think, maybe. I don't remember. But they went through every single uh, ref in the – it was Doki. It was Kanemaru and Desperado. It was, they went through every ref in the company. And nobody got DQ'd. They just kept going. It was like, all right, send the next ref out. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. It was awesome. It was hilarious. I loved it. But like, and then you see this, and you're like, "Really, he's getting disqualified for that?" Come yeah, on, bro, this is lame. This is a pay-per-view main event. No, it's not. It's a house show that became a pay-per-view. Yes, but it's like, <laughs> okay, we're in, I know we're in Corpus Christi, but still, come on, man. Let's let's give us let's give let's give us something, you know. What building in Corpus Christi can hold the elimination chamber? <laughs> There's the real question. <laughs> the American Bank Center in Corpus Christi has some very high ceilings. Is that like Texas A and M Corpus Christi's stadium or something? Like, uh, you would be right. Is it really? Yes, huh. it is also home to the Corpus Christi Ice Rays of the North American Hockey League. Did you know that off the top of your head? You look at no, up. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. <laughs> yep. All right. That's great. We love to see it. I'm 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 currently reading about the American Bank Center. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. On that okay, note, so um, <laughs> well, let's go two and a half. We're doing the two and a half marks next. That's let's do that. Okay, two and a half marks. Angelo, you're up. All right. Uh, let me see here. My ha- negative half mark is going to burning a star pop. And I say this because the way they introduced Mark Henry in the uh, Elimination Chamber match, he's the first guy out. I think part of the best part of like having an unknown entrant is that you save him for last or you don't make him first. By burning him first, you're losing a lot of that tension buildup. It's like, oh, who's this guy going to be? 
who are they going to have in this match now? Um, and I feel like that got wasted. Also with the fact that you have him like early enter, enter the elimination chamber early because his pod breaks. You're also kind of burning that pop too. Cause a lot of times a guy gets a pop when the, he's coming about to come in. Now he did get a pop because the thing broke, but it was more so, Oh my God, the thing broke and now he's out. Not okay. Mark Henry's turn to tear shit up. Uh, so I, I think burning a star pop is uh, my negative one half mark. Uh, my refer- my whole mark, my one mark, is going to treating NXT as a third brand. I actually really like the fact that you had NXT guys in here and like they played a role and didn't feel too secondary. Um, because like you said, you said the Ascension was an NXT team as well as uh, the Lucha Dragons. And they're fine. They they felt like they had their shots when uh, even the Lucha Dragons were the first one out. The Ascension, they made look really good. Um Kevin Owens obviously goes over John Cena. Neville and Bo- uh, Bodella serve their role. I can't speak right now, but I'm Neville, tired. Neville and Neville. Bo Dulles. Bo Dulles. I am Bo so tired. Ti- International Airport. <laughs> I am so tired right now. They have me working <laughs> drive through this week, and I've just felt like I've been living at work. So apologies. I'm a little bit tired drunk. Uh, Neville and Bo Dallas get a solid eight and a half minutes. It breaks up the card a little bit. Is it the main event? No. Does it get a lot of time? No. But I think it's just like a perfect slice of NXT to break up the monotony of WWE. Which, again, I think that was a good use of it. And treating it as a third brand really helps legitimize the guys. Uh, My last one, negative two marks, are chamber matches that aren't main event worthy. God damn it, I have to change two of my (laughs) marks now because of you. I had two of those three. Uh, uh, David, you got to go next. I got to change. Uh, I, had, I had one of those three, but I do not care enough to change it. So but, okay, I'm going okay. go to change at least one. Go ahead. But, I'm going to give. Oh, wait, oh no! Oh, uh, you're I was, stuck. You're yeah, still, still going. Um, <laughs> the main reason being is like again, I love elimination chamber matches. I have no problem with them having two elimination chamber matches on a card, even if one's a tag team match. It was fine for the opener for this pay per view. It wasn't perfect, but it was fine. I'm okay with them using it twice. But my problem is when your whole thing is based on the Elimination Chamber and then your top Elimination Chamber match is for the IC title. No, that's horrible. It's got to be for the world title. It's got to be for a number one contender spot for the world title. Or it's got to be for a spot at WrestleMania. If you're using it for just tag team matches or the IC title, like if it's not a world champion, like the uh, – the, I think the women's championship was an elimination chamber match a couple of years ago. Perfect. It's the it's the main title for that division, but as a secondary title main event, it just does not work. So it save it for like actual important matches. Do not use it for the IC title. Agreed. So I'm going to give my half mark to the KO Cena feud up to really. I mean the the point after this this match but it goes to show you man it's really not that hard to book a guy strong and put him over as a as a star when he's coming up pair him with somebody good make him look like a badass let them win clean and then you keep moving i thought this this job this match does a tremendously good job of establishing kevin owens as a top guy right away And it goes to show you, man, it doesn't always have to be so goddamn hard. They make it hard, but it it doesn't always have to be. I'm going to give my negative one mark to literally the exact same thing that Angelo just talked about. Making uh, Elimination Chamber for the Intercontinental title. 
I think, you know, the, the Elimination Chamber match itself is a fun concept. But, you know, this kind of goes back to something we've complained about a bunch of times. Gimmick match pay-per-views, whether it's Hell in a Cell or TLC, you want, like, like, just a Hell in a Cell match in and of itself isn't enough of an attraction to get me to care. You need some kind of story or some kind of stakes to get you to care, and then the gimmick match and the stimulation can 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 elevate that. I don't. I mean, I, I like the elimination chamber concept. The matches are usually fun, but it's not so fun that you can put in Wade Barrett and Sheamus and Mark Henry for the Intercontinental Title, and I'm gonna give a shit about it. There needs to be some more stakes involved, which is why. It's a good stop on the road to WrestleMania because the build to WrestleMania is important enough in and of itself that when you have the Elimination Chamber be for the title, like one of the last stops on the road to WrestleMania, be it for the title, be it for a a WrestleMania title shot, it's imbued with stakes that makes the gimmick match seem more important. And then it's cool. But not when you're doing it in May for the Intercontinental Title. I can't. I can't give a shit about that. It's what kickstart Kofi Mania. Exactly. Um, but yeah, minus one to that, and I'm going to give my minus two to the dusty finish, as I already complained about mm. at, 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 at length. I probably don't need to go too much into it again, but I just have always felt that stuff like that. It's not only overly contrived. But I think it's an incredibly lazy way to keep a story going. They kind of blue ball you a little bit and then just say, actually, now nah, we're going to keep things the way they are and you keep going. Book people to win and lose and then think of a way to get us to care about who's winning, who's losing, and why and what's going to happen after that. Actually... Think of a way to get us invested in the story and what is happening outside of just this overly contrived bullshit. I hated it. It sucked in the 80s when Dusty was doing it. It sucks in 2015, and it sucks today. All right, we don't have to hear from Jake because he has my mark, so we're good. Nope, I changed him because I thought of some other stuff I could talk about. I actually, between the both of you, you all mentioned my original marks. Awesome. So I changed all of mine. Love to see it. So (laughs) my negative half mark is going to Nikki Bella without Brie Bella because I like them as a pairing. I was always a huge Bellas fan, especially when they would do the, the twin shit. Like one of them's getting beat up, so they like switch it on the outside. I always loved that spot because I don't think it's used enough. And the Morris twins in the NBA definitely did that in 2017. They absolutely (laughs) did. They totally did it. They definitely switched. So uh, to twin magic, that's that's my my half mark, or my negative half mark. My one mark is going to the bow leave gimmick, and just just good gimmicks. Like, I don't know. I I love Kevin Owens. I I don't know. Would he have called this the prize fighter gimmick at the time? Yeah, prize fighter KO. Yeah. Like, you have Prizefighter KO. Say what you want about the Ascension, but they were, like, uh, Illuminati aliens, which is hilarious. Like, there's just some very original gimmicks on here that I don't think get enough love. Uh, Paige is cool. You know, I, I just think that they all fit under yeah. that, that umbrella. I love the KO Prizefighter gimmick because it's so simple. 
mm-hmm. you get like such a strong motivation for his character and like why he does shit. It's like, yeah, you know, he's a prize fighter. He goes out to like support his family and make money and beat people up. And it's not complicated, but you know exactly who that guy is and why he does what he does. And it's amazing Absolutely. he's so intimidating despite having a, like a beer gut. Yeah, he's I, a badass. I, I love when Kevin Owens and Dave Mastiff do the cannonball because they're literally both shaped like a cannonball. <laughs> That's why it's so good. Uh, and then two marks are going to the Cena versus Owens, the match. I know David gave it to the feud, but just this match right here, I've already said, I've sung its praises enough. Cena's phenomenal. Owens is phenomenal. I mean, I know Cena ends up getting the win back and then some, but he still let Owens go over on pay-per-view, which is not something you can say a whole lot about John Cena, for better or for worse. And, I mean, I I think Owens should have been pushed more, but at least he got the win versus Cena on his first match on pay-per-view, which you can't say about a lot of people. And it just had me all jazzed up. I know David says I'm getting jaded, but I can still appreciate a really good match when I see one. So two marks to Cena versus Owens. Really good match and one of the big highlights of the show. So that will wrap up our coverage of WWE Elimination Chamber 2015. Hopefully we can post this one. Fingers crossed. But until then... We've got one last order of business here. We're going to spin the randomizer, and we are going to figure out what we're going to be watching next week. So as I pull this up, what do you guys want to see? Let's, hmm. You know what? Let's get some 80s so we can appreciate what, the yeah. modern era. I, I want some NBC uh, Saturday Night's main event or something like that. I really want to get some 80s one of these days. But not today. We're going to the Unfortunately, 90s. Unfortunately, that's not what we're getting. We're going to 2006. We are going to be watching a 2006 SmackDown pay-per-view. WWE Great American Bash. Ooh. 06. This is, this is a Batista match, if I remember. I think so. Uh, yeah. No. Batista Uh-oh. is not in the main event. Oh, yeah, we do get a Batista match. The main event is Rey Mysterio and King Booker. For the World Heavyweight title. Oh, oh I remember this feud. This is right in the, like, when me and Angelo, like, first started watching wrestling era. I remember this now. Right? Smack dab in the middle. It is. Oh, this is going to be a big throwback. I really wanted Booker to get his shit kicked in, and he didn't. King Booker and Rey Mysterio. We've got Batista. Batista is on the show. He's wrestling Mr. Kennedy. Doesn't Chavo come back here? Chavo is not on. Does he yeah, inter- actually? You know, you're right. Yeah, Chavo. He, he interferes Chavo the match. Does make an appearance. Yeah, Chavo does make an appearance. Uh, we got a Matt Hardy match. We got some Regal. We got uh, we got. We're gonna have. We got all the SmackDown first, guys. We got our first Kid Cash appearance. Very excited for this one. So next week, episode 39 of the Two and a Half Arcs podcast, Great American Bash 06. So until then. That will wrap up this episode of Two and a Half Marks. So for my good friends, Angelo Nguisa and Jake Long, my name is David Stadman. Thanks, everybody, for listening.